0: Tech Talk with Heh. Matthew Dickerson. F-f-f-f-f- Matthew Dickerson. Tech 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 talk. Tech 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 talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Greetings, high flyers! It's time to come back down to Earth. But yet at the same time also keep your head in the clouds. And by that I mean it's time to dream the sweet dreams of life in Tomorrowland. It's time for a little bit of tech talk with Matthew Dickerson. And here to help us navigate our way through the Cloudscape is our very own tour guide. It's Matthew Dickerson. How are you doing, Matt?
1: Really good, but really intrigued. Our world is changing, James, so much. By the minute. And sometimes even I get caught out about how quickly it's changing and just get surprised by actions of people. And the other day I was talking to someone and we are just having a bit of a chat about an interview this person was going for, and it was in a job area that I didn't think was their specialty, and Mm. I actually wondered how they would go in the interview. And I asked a question, and I got surprised by the answer, but then I thought, of course, that's the obvious answer. I said, so how did you prepare for that interview? Because it does seem outside your normal sounds, realm. And
0: it sounds like a pretty tough sort of thing to do when it's outside your own realm.
1: Correct. So how do you think about the questions you might be asked? And the answer he gave me was, well, I asked Chat GPT what questions, pretending he was the company, what questions should I ask someone that's applying for this particular job. So then I had a bunch of questions that were the obvious questions that the interviewer (laughs) was going to ask me. I said, well, that's pretty good. Like It kind of surprised me because I thought that's a really clever idea, a really great way to come up with some questions. And then I said, okay, so you had the questions. That's great. And then what did you do? Did you go through and rehearse those? He said, no, no. I asked ChatGPT for the best answer oh. for each of those questions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the questions and the answers. And the answers. Yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> so I just I oh, sat back no. and went, yeah, right, that just seems so obvious mm. once he's done it. And so then I said, how did you go? You've had the interview. How did you go? He said, oh, absolutely nailed it because some of the questions they asked we almost like he'd been given the questions beforehand because yeah, ChatGPT yeah. had told him the questions. Now, who knows if the employer also said to ChatGPT, I'm sure they didn't, but imagine <laughs> if they question, said, yeah. what questions should, question I should I ask? I ask yeah. <laughs> but this is the thing. We do wonder sometimes, don't we, how yeah. our world is changing, how ChatGPT is going to be used in our everyday society. What a simple example yeah. of a way to use the power of AI, the power of ChatGPT, to just help you in a pretty standard thing that people do every, not one person do every day, but lots of people yeah, out there doing the job time. interviews all the time. What a great way to prepare for an interview by just going out and asking ChatGPT. So I loved it. I so it so I'm thinking joy. about
0: this person, uh, once they're on the job now, are they going to be needing to lean on ChatGPT? Because you said it's outside their realm as well. Is it going to be a daily thing? What do we do in this situation, ChatGPT?
1: Absolutely. I'd yeah. expect nothing less. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs>
0: that's great. Well, that's, that's solutions to problems.
1: Exactly right. So yeah, I did love it.
0: Well, it's time to get knee deep into this episode, folks. So I remember primary school back in the eighties. Whenever creative writing opportunities arose, uh, we'd, we'd always envisage the future in twenty twenty or whatever year it was. There were two must haves in every piece of writing that we did about r- living in the future. The first was flying cars. Well, they came in at first in the first paragraph any later than that and there was the risk of losing your reader as far as we were concerned the future had flying cars and that was just a given the second automatic pick in our juvenile future dreaming as i remember was smell-o-vision it's an odd choice upon reflection but it was as common as a cheeseburger meal with fries now in retrospect and in all practicality smell-o-vision seems like a bit of waste of effort or is it matt for the complete immersive experience smell vision is apparently finally here.
1: And essential, I would say, for exactly yeah. what you said, the immersive experience. Now, it does kind of remind me about the old scratch and smell T-shirts we used to have. I even vaguely remember scratch and smell stickers or something you used yeah, to stick stickers. on.
0: Yeah, stickers. You had a T-shirt that was scratch and smell too? Very through. flash, very flash. Yeah, yeah, right. It lasted two washers and then it was <laughs> all, all washed
1: out. Then it smelled like laundry detergent. But this whole concept about VR and where we're going with VR, VR is fantastic. And if you get a good VR game or something that you're doing in VR and they've set it up well, you've got this complete immersion in the visual side of it, yeah. complete immersion in the audio side, but that's it. So the idea here is that some researchers at the City University of Hong Kong have said we need to add smell to this. And they've come up with two different concepts. They've got one that just sits below the nose and can produce different odours, and another one that's like a small soft mask. Now the soft mask sounds much better to me because it can produce 30 different scents.
0: Wow. First thing I think of is walking
1: through a beautiful bed of roses in your VR game. I don't know too many games that do that, (laughs) but just smelling the roses, how beautiful is that? One of the things they did point out specifically is that of the variety of smells, they've got rosemary and pancake and pineapple and ginger and durian. Now, durian, (laughs) I remember hearing about durian some time ago, and that's supposedly the smell that you would have if you mixed Raw sewage, yeah. rotting flesh, and gym socks. Yeah, yeah. So the zombie apocalypse in VR is when you want the durian <laughs> smell to, to really <laughs> give you for that yeah. full immersive experience. Yeah. So it sounds quite clever. You do need to recharge the little mask that you put on, it can produce a smell in about one and a half seconds. So again, probably as would happen in the real world, if if I walked up near a rose, I wouldn't expect to be hit with that smell as soon as I saw it. And so again, in a VR setting, you probably would see the thing that was going to smell a certain way. And... One point five seconds later, you're then smelling it. So that uh, a bloodhound
0: of, might complain a bit, but um, <laughs> yeah, otherwise, I think we'd be all right with
1: that. Yeah, quite possibly. Now you can't go and buy this yet, but it just goes to show where we're headed with this complete immersion around trying yeah. to make everything we're doing in a VR world just like it is in the real world. It almost makes you think you should get out in the real world, but that would be a bit, <laughs> a bit too dramatic. But I also remember yeah, I that idea to bed, and I can't remember. It might have been at one of the movie world over in the US, or it might have been one of the ones up in the Gold Coast somewhere, but one of those theatres you go into, 5D theatre or whatever yeah. it was, and you sit there, and of course there'd be something wet on the screen and there'd be some water that'd be missed out. The one that got me with the spiders on the legs, that was a bit freaky (laughs) when things are, is someone down there grabbing my legs? What's going on there? So that was that whole idea. But that was in a specific setting where you had the environment that was created around you. But just to have this, again, I can imagine a VR headset that's got your headphones covered, something near your nose and your eyes covered. It's sounding like a pretty realistic experience, isn't it?
0: Yeah. We're descending into, uh, yeah, something, something else. It's yeah,
1: One of the other things that I think is important is that sense can often be used to trigger memories. Mm. They haven't talked about it in this particular bit of research they're doing, but I hope there's some plans to do something more than just play games in a really cool way. But one of the things I can imagine it being used for is in, say, treatment of dementia, where you want to try and trigger some memories for people where you've got – I don't know, maybe some videos of your kids or something that might be a memory there for you but having some smells that might be from the kitchen when they used to cook up a, a wonderful meal and having those that might trigger some memories and make the person be able to communicate a bit better with some memories there as well. I don't know. I've got no scientific basis to say all of that but I can just imagine those memories. You do, you smell things sometimes and it does trigger memories. There's no doubt about it. Well,
0: that's it. right. And so this opens up a whole new scope of opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah quite well. fascinating. Continuing on the subject of virtual reality, as if our heads haven't been screwed up with it enough already, VR has just gotten a little bit more screwy with a backpack accessory that will enhance the experience of vertical motion—that is, for the better part, jumping and falling. Matt, tell us more about how we can get sucked one more degree deeper into the matrix. So
1: just when we think smell-o-vision <laughs> so, is so where it's got headed,
0: smell What a face mask on. Yep. And then you put on the backpack.
1: You put on the backpack. And it's a really clever concept. It's really designed to help you feel the up and down motions of a game you're playing, for example. and I've played various first-person games where you're jumping down things and climbing up things. Mm. And in VR, you're doing that. And sure, you're standing there in a room, so you're kind of experiencing it, but it's not quite the same. This backpack actually has a weight inside it, two kilograms. And it's inside the backpack on a slider. And so what it does is it slides up to give you the feeling of you being a little bit moving up, I suppose. And well, then would it
0: be moving down, though? I'm just thinking, you know, is like the the shift in weight.
1: Well, it shifts at weight. So I was actually thinking that it would move down, for example, putting extra weight on your feet if you jump down somewhere. So right. here I am standing there. I go on my VR screen and jump down a small ledge, a half-metre ledge, and then this weight... Gives you a jolt. Yeah, moves down and hits the ground Mm. as I jump down. Moving up, I imagine it kind of moves up to almost make you feel a bit lighter. So two kilos moving up, hits the top of the backpack, almost takes a bit of weight off your feet. What
0: I'm thinking about G-forces and whatnot, would it be a case of as if you jumped off, say, a cliff, the weight would slide upwards... So to make you, you feel weightless, to make you feeling like you're going falling down. Yep, yep. And then as you hit the bottom, it comes then, down. Then it comes, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I haven't
1: played with one yet to know, and I don't think I could play with one yet because it's really in its early prototype stages. But, but
0: look forward to this, kids.
1: That's right. But I, I think you're right. I think that probably makes more sense than my first analysis of it. But the important part is that. They're doing these experiments with it. So they'll be having people Mm. trying this. Your job today is to play this VR game and tell us whether we've got the weight movement correct. (laughs) But again, you can just imagine, sure, this is a backpack at the moment, but you go into a VR suit. The suit's got things connected to it, including weights. So you're feeling this whole motion over your body, even I'm though you talking about there.
0: screwing with your head before I just think that you know you see videos of people just with the headsets on and, and you know, they just completely lose themselves and start yeah. crashing into things and breaking things and whatnot. <laughs> right. This is another level. This is where you forget the world completely, the real world.
1: And think about some of those roller coaster virtual rally pods and even Planes when you've got some sort of flight training and, and they've got a, a pod there oh, yeah? and it stays on the ground, yeah. but they've got various hydraulics on it that move it around and give you that motion of flying or the motion of going on a roller coaster. Some of, oh, I get pretty scared on an normal roller coaster. I don't love heights, <laughs> but going on some of those virtual roller coasters, which, you know, you're saying to yourself, I'm just in a pod. Hmm. I'm about half a meter off the ground with a few hydraulics connected. It's okay, but you're watching what's on screen and the feeling of that movement and you're going, wow, I'm going down at 100 miles an hour. This is scary. (laughs) So it's just – it is playing with your senses. And so I imagine with this, this is one little part of it, but I don't imagine – I don't think anyway they'll sell a backpack. I think they'll sell a suit – and they're using the backpack for some of this testing because they want to build it into the suit and make it all look pretty groovy as well. I do remember there was one little VR game that I played when I was over in England one day, there was a shopping centre that had a Star Wars set in the middle of the shopping centre, so you paid a bit of money, you went along and put the headset on, etc. But they had some other external things as well, so heat was coming out, you mm. went nearer a flame in the VR headset, but they actually had physical heat, some heaters on the side. So those external things are fine, but mm. building it all into the one suit, that sounds like a pretty uh, cool concept, doesn't this it? This is next level. <laughs> the Galaxy
0: Watch 6 is on its way onto store shelves very soon. And it's been given the tick of approval in the US from the FDA for its ability to pick an irregular heartbeat. Now, while an irregular heartbeat is a symptom of a number of conditions, it's definitely worth taking heed regardless. So, Matt, this is a very handy piece of tech.
1: It is. And I just want to clarify one thing there. There's a very subtle difference between... FDA approval and FDA clearance. Oh,
0: okay. So right. they've
1: been given FDA clearance at this stage, but not approval. Ah, right. So we're I, still
0: waiting for the big smiley stamp.
1: Correct. And I think the clearance is, sure, you can go out there and sell it to people, but we're not guaranteeing it actually works. I think when it gets FDA approval, they then right. say, yeah, it looks like it works pretty well. So sure, go out there and really market it to the cows come home now. But it is probably a little bit of a case of Samsung catching up to Apple, and Apple still have the majority market share. They've got about 33.6% market share of the watch market. And keep in mind, this market is worth $64 billion mm, this year. Exactly. So it is an exploding market. But atrial fibrillation is what this can potentially pick up on the Galaxy Watch. Now, Apparently,
0: one in five of us have got it. I say one in five of us, I'm going to just reveal a bit of my own medical history there. But yeah, so a lot of people are walking around with it without knowing.
1: And, and that's the thing, not knowing. And that's where we do talk about some of these wearables a bit. That's where I think we're getting there, where we're going to analyse the health so much better, I think, as, as future goes forward. This is obviously, um, AFib is obviously a bit of an indicator potentially of cardiovascular problems. So when you start to think about now, not just a simple heart rate, what's your heart rate doing at the moment, you can do ECGs, check AFib, you've even got some which still needs another accessory where you can do blood pressure checking, but you have another cuff that goes on that then feeds the information back to your watch. Your watch is pretty important in just Mm. monitoring your health and seeing how your health's progressing. But it's actually good to see Samsung out there really trying to match and hopefully beat some of the Apple features because what we all want as consumers is two or three really strong competitors going for it, trying to out- tech out, match out, feature each other because that can only be better for the devices that we buy.
0: And hopefully bringing down the price as well while they're at it as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. And this can save lives. We know that the Apple Watch has been, they've done some marketing around some different people where they've said, this watch has saved my life in a variety of different ways. It might've been when they've collapsed, might've been in a car accident. But again, looking at things like an ECG and then going, Mm. oh, that doesn't look great. Sure, I'm not going to base my entire medical decision-making process on a watch and an ECG I get, but if I get a bad result, I might say, let's just go and visit some real professionals and, yeah, have a bit of a look at that. So quite interesting, but great to see some of that tech progressing in something as simple as a watch.
0: Well, car keys are rapidly becoming a thing of the past, and Genesis, that's Hyundai's EV brand, they're doing their bit to make sure of it. While Tesla's currently linking up you to the, between the car and the phone, Genesis is moving to facial rec- recognition and fingerprinting. And I'm all for it. I hate a pocket full of heavy keys, and Matt, it's getting harder and harder for crims to hotwire a car these days. <laughs>
1: That's right. They need to steal your face and your <laughs> fingerprints in this particular case. <laughs> and it is great. There are cars, I mean, Tesla, you mentioned there, that are moving towards a phone, and it's just such a liberating experience. I would yep. have my phone with me most of the time, so i get in the car with my phone and... It just works. i walk near it and it opens up. And that's right. And fantastic. when I get into
0: our other car that doesn't have this technology, it's like, ah, oh, I've left the key in the house. Oh, how that's yesterday.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but now Genesis have said, well, that Tesla thing, that's a bit old-fashioned. We need to move forward from that. And so now there's a two-step process. They've got a camera in the B pillar on the car, and that camera, you put your face in front of it, just the same as you would with your mobile phone, and it says, oh, I recognize you unlocks the car, you jump in, and then to start the car, you use your fingerprint. So it needs both mm. steps. So it's not as if they can just get a picture of you maybe or your brother that looks very similar to you, sticks his face on the b pillow and, oh, I'm in the car, away I go. So I like the combination of the face and the fingerprint to actually mm. get in and then get it Absolutely. moving. So that's a good idea. They come with some smart fobs, just the same as Teslas do. They come with their little keys to get you started and you never use them again. Or maybe if you lend it to a friend, you might give them one of those keys. But it comes with a smart fob. You use that to basically get it connected. Yes, here I go. I'm scanning my face. Everything's done there. And then once you do that, then you throw that, well, you don't throw it away. Probably you might need it again sometime. (laughs) But you don't need to use it ever again as such. If you want to remove someone from it, you need that smart fob again. The other thing that's interesting is that everyone from a privacy perspective, always worries about any face or fingerprint or any of these things, none of this information is stored in the cloud, it's stored in the car and stored encrypted in the car.
0: Yeah, right.
1: So that makes sense, because where else am I going to need to scan my face but in the car, so I don't need it stored in the cloud, and I think Genesis did that deliberately just to make sure that people felt comfortable mm-hmm. having their face scanned, because yeah. It'd be a bit silly to have all this technology and then people still use the smart fob to get in and get in and out and say, well, it's got that other feature there, but I I don't know how to use it. And away I go. So, in general, apart from that, I'm actually pretty impressed with Genesis. So it's their luxury version, like Lexus is to Toyota, Genesis is to Hyundai. So it's their luxury version of Hyundai. And in terms of the rest of the vehicle, not that I'd buy a car well maybe I would actually just for the fingerprint and the facial skin <laughs> it does sound pretty cool but, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend everyone buy a car just for that but when you look at the rest of it again a bit of competition for Tesla which is what we always want to see Tesla still a mile out in front but seeing competition for Tesla is pretty exciting again mm. that will keep pushing Tesla and keep getting other manufacturers around the world excited about what they can do to try and basically provide some competition and take some sales away
0: such an interesting marketplace Event organisation is a big game these days. There's so much that can go into party planning and for many, there is a real pressure to get it right. For mine, the invitation process is the bit that I hate the most, so I leave it up to other people whenever I can. Party planning is understandably now a marketable vocation. But Matt, there is a smartphone-friendly service now that might take away some of the anxiety next time.
1: It was so simple when my kids were younger. Having a birthday party, Dad. Great get on the computer, do up a pretty little design, a basic desktop publishing program, print out...
0: Times 30. That's right. Classmates, bang, done. There you go.
1: So pretty simple. You might even put an RSVP on there to let people know and you might put an email or just a phone number Mm. on there and that was it. But lately, the parties that my kids have been creating or deciding that they want to have one, and I jokingly say, oh, you better get on and print out some invites, and I never know which way they're going to Dad. invite people. <laughs> You've you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> it might be a Facebook event. It might just be using Messenger. It might be text messages. It might be emails. All that's a bit old-fashioned these days. So many different ways that you can actually invite people to something. And what this particular app does, Partyful, P-A-R-T-I-F-U-L, it says a couple of things. First of all, it's all a bit hard to know which is the best method to use. And it's also pretty hard to track that whole RSVP concept. So why don't we use text messaging? Because we know people are more likely to respond to a text than any other messaging service. So let's take advantage of that. Put the names in, put their mobile phone numbers in. You're assuming most people have got a mobile and you send the invites out. You've got your top 20 you want to invite to this party. You go there first. Then you get the RSVPs come back in automatically because people just have to say a Y or an N when they get the invitation. So you don't have to think about, oh, I better keep track of all those. comes back in. Then when you look down your list, you go, oh, five can't make it. Oh, I can go to my secondary list now and add those to the list. Uh, so uh, away yeah, you go. Right. So all very clever, all very efficient. At the moment, it's a free app, free to download, free to use. They're looking at other things that they might add into. obviously, you want apps to be able to generate some income so they keep existing – for example, if you were doing something where you had to pay, you let's all go out to 10-pin bowling, it's going to cost us 20 bucks each and it's a bit clumsy collecting all there and some people bring cash and some people have their watch or whatever. So you can actually do a payment through it. So that might be one way they might generate uh, a bit of money. So you can say, hey, we're all going 10-pin bowling, it's going to cost 20 bucks a head, here's the payment link and then away they go, yes, I'm coming, here's my payment. So it can all be done. So
0: paying one lump sum rather than getting little bits and pieces come in, in trips and drags. Correct,
1: and you've got all that money, then you can go and pay the 10-bit bonding, or just run away and have your own party without those <laughs> yeah, people okay. coming there. I'm not recommending that, people. <laughs> Off to the race course. So they're looking at other ways they can do things, but the first part is, I think, just a clever little way of keeping track of it. And funnily enough, I, I do talk on a few radio stations about some of these various topics, and every now and again when something really hits a nerve, then people will send me some messages separately. They might have heard something already. I just heard that bit there, but can you tell me more information about that particular app or that device, whatever it might be? I've had more requests for information on Partiful than anything that we've talked about recently on radio, where people, I heard you talking about that thing. It sounds great. What was the name of that again? Or where can I download that? (laughs) So it obviously is a problem for a lot of people. So I'm keen to see, I don't know, one of my kids or something else that I organise soon download that and actually use it to invite people along and see how well it works.
0: Very good. In the modern world, anxiety seems to be just par for the course these days. As technology has improved our ability to get things done, the pressure to get more and more done seems to have increased exponentially. We tend to spend much more time tending to communications by email or by messages even, each may be a little job on its own, but cumulatively, we all, we're on the go always, is what I'm trying to say, tending to the next thing. Well, I need some time out, and you need some time out, so it makes sense for a handy little piece of tech to help tear us away from the screens and to help us just to catch our breath. Matt, tell the good people
1: about Morphe Zen.
0: Did I say that right? Sounds good to me. Is
1: there some irony in trying to solve a problem with too much tech by having by more tech more tech <laughs> i think the
0: nra is trying to use the same pro- uh, solution over might, in the states might, but, might be. Yeah. so
1: there's a couple of scary bits of data here that i found when i was doing the research for this the average person spends about six hours and 58 minutes each day. Seven
0: hours. That's the average person. That's
1: the average. So that means a lot of people yeah. above that as well. That's a lot of time. I don't sleep that many hours a day, but mm. the average person, which I probably would be in that category in front of a screen, so seven hours each day on a screen. There's another study that's been done in China, and the results have come in from that. Now, they are saying in this that there may be some other effects on this study, but the initial results show that if you spend more than 30 minutes a week on a phone talking, so this isn't in front of a screen necessarily, more than 30 minutes a week talking, you've got a 12% risk or, or an increased risk of 12% of high blood pressure. So again, maybe mm. the top of people that talk on phones a lot are people that are already a bit hypertensive, maybe, but so far that's the results there. So what I'm trying to say is that using tech too much, and I'm... I'm a bit embarrassed to say this actually, but (laughs) using tech too much may not be great for us. So the Morphe Zen is a really simple device to try and just get us away and help us relax. It looks like a pebble, a large pebble, about the palm of your hand, made to be incredibly simple and not lots of options, which is kind of different to what we expect today. And without a screen. No screen, no screen. Very important part of it. It's got good old-fashioned 35 mil audio jack so no Bluetooth on there. Uh It comes with some headphones with a lead because many people wouldn't have that anymore. And the idea is that you simply plug the lead in, a button to turn it on, and then you choose from a range of sounds. You can't upload your own sounds. They've got sounds on there that they have researched and done some analysis on to make sure they're going to be relaxing. So it could be some white noise, which I know you've talked about liking the idea of white noise. You could have some nature sound, maybe relaxing music. Pretty sure there's no Jimi Hendrix on there. Pretty sure there's no (laughs) loud rock and roll. It's just going to be some soothing music or sounds, as you say, sounds of nature. And literally, you plug it in, you choose your music option, and for five minutes, you just get to escape in this world and relax nicely. In five minutes, unplug it, get back into your day, whatever you're doing. Get yourself in front of that screen and away you go. And I'm not convinced. I'm a bit too active in the mind. I'm not convinced that for those five minutes, I that personally would relax. You all relax, have switched off. Yeah. Because I'd be thinking, <laughs> this five minutes, I could be using this time to do the thing that I'm going to do next when I stop doing this relaxation. <laughs> Damn it, I, I've got to get onto that. And, and so it may be great for some people, but mm. I think the idea of just getting away, whatever method you use to get away, and I, I do like the concept they've come up with where it really just is simple. It's not customizable. You can't do a whole bunch of stuff with it.
0: Yeah, but I wonder if some people are just going to get onto their normal music player and download the white noise or the, the running water, the rain in the background and just use their Bluetooth earpods. I think you're right. Look, I don't, want, I don't want to run these people into the <laughs> ground. I hope that they sell a, a million units. But um, yeah, it seems like, yeah. We've already Would got I... all the
1: tools there, haven't we, to do all of this? We've yeah, already we got, got, do. We've got a phone. <laughs> so we've got all those things. I think the idea of this is really just to say, get away from all that. Yeah, Because right. maybe when you're about to download a certain bit of music to relax by, which music do I choose today? And you've got all these options, and you, yeah. you get wound up in and all you of get that.
0: Distracted by uh, the fact that you got a little message you got to check, and
1: my phone's sitting there, and I saw something pop up, or I heard a ding come through my yeah, earphones, good point. and so yeah. oh, I better can... go and check that message. So yeah, maybe it's a good idea. Maybe I do need this. Who knows? So Morphe's end, go and check it out. So, hang on,
0: is five minutes the maximum time that you can listen, or is it? Can you change that, or it will run perpetually?
1: Non-customizable. So it'll run for five minutes, and that's it. But. Nothing stopping you doing it again. Yeah, yeah, right. The idea okay. is it's trying to say, just have a little break. Yep. Here you go. Brain then, break. Yeah. and sit there go.
0: on your desk nice and comfortably. You can see it there waiting for you. Yeah. With the federal budget news still reasonably fresh in the air, scammers have found further inspiration as people hurtle towards the end of the financial year. Matt... The advice to Joe Average is just to keep your guard up always.
1: I think we went well for a few weeks. We didn't actually have a scam story for a few weeks. That's but not
0: that there weren't any scams. <laughs> that's, that's it's right, just that we, you made a deliberate uh, decision not to do scam stories, I'm going to guess. But uh, yeah, I tried my best, here we are.
1: But this one was too... They're important. Well, this one was too relevant in that the first text message scams came out within an hour of the federal budget being released. They were focused specifically on the federal budget. So they talked about some of the decisions from the budget. So, for example, it might be welfare recipients, an extra $40 a fortnight. So a message came out, if you want to claim your extra $40 per fortnight, click on this link to claim Uh. it. Oh, good. I just heard that budget. I'd like to get my extra $40 things. I'll go and click on that link. And I saw some of these coming through from various people that were seeing them to me and I went... Really? These guys are sitting there. They're so aware of what's happening day to day. Mm. The federal budget being announced and they're onto it straight away. They're coming up with Mm. what's the angle? How can we approach this? So they had to watch the budget and look at the things that would be relevant from the budget, word it in such a way that it looked pretty convincing, and then start getting it out there. So that all happened again within an yeah. hour. The next day after the federal budget, they were flooding inboxes everywhere, these text messages. Mm-hmm. So quite incredible. So, yes, again, no, you don't have to go and click on anything to get these extra benefits. You don't need to go and do things. The money will come in automatically once the budget's approved, etc. So you don't need to do it. But they had so many little targets to pick on, single parents. It's about
0: preying on people at their weakest. Yeah, yeah, that's um, exactly right. Yeah.
1: You had fifty seven thousand single parents, we're going to get an increase of payments, so there's a good little part to go on target. Five million households received energy bill relief, so there's a good little target for mm. them. Twenty-four percent of Australians have experienced a scam related to end of financial year as well. So we've got the budget now. Go forward a little bit of time, and you're going to see end of financial year scams. And they're very clever. You'll start to see those typically after the 1st of July, so people have got a chance to put their tax returns in. And they don't say, hey, sir, you've got $18 million in a tax return. Because mm. most people go, well, I didn't earn that much that I'd get an $18 million return. But they do clever things like, you need the $572.39 tax return that you are uh, available to get. Oh. oh, OK, gee, that was quick. That was good. I'll go and click on that link to get it. Now, what they're after typically is your identity. Mm-hmm. Just to confirm that really is you, please enter your bank details and your mm. credit card details and maybe your driver's license and send us a photo and everything that means they can steal your identity. Or sometimes they'll say, it sounds convincing, they'll say something like, we want to deposit that money into your account just to make sure you're not a scammer, just deposit $10 into this account so we can see the transaction go through. Then we can deposit your refund plus the $10 you deposited back into that account. Hmm. And so people go, oh, that's right, $10. So it might only be a microtransaction like that, yeah. but they do it to enough people.
0: Enough people and they earn themselves a monster.
1: So the other one that scared me was in March this year, even though millions of people are out there listening to Tech Talk and we have scam watches on there, $1.488 million was lost in 563 scam cases. And we say it all the time, <sighs> that's the ones that are reported. Yeah. The unreported, we don't know because they're not reported, but the unreported would be a large number, I would guess, because some people are embarrassed about it. So there are all these different scams, but yeah, you just gotta be aware. But the time of year, end yep. of financial year, budget time, they're just picking on all these relevant times that make sense when you get that message. But gee, they're good at it. So just be aware. Yeah.
0: if there's been any technology that has made more of an impact on criminal justice than the introduction of DNA evidence. Convictions in the US being overturned, stories of convicted felons after spending years on death row being exonerated in light of new DNA evidence. These are sadly not rare stories, which is somewhat alarming. DNA evidence uh, now drastically shortens the, an investigation process and even being uh, bring a close to cold cases laid over for decades. So the Tasmanian government can take some credit for now shelling out $3.7 million to upgrade their DNA analysis tools for their forensic service, which means that they will n- indeed be able to bring some very cold cases to trial now, Matt.
1: When I watch movies, TV shows, and I see how modern detectives work, apparently, according to these shows, which are obviously all based on absolute truth... If you didn't have CCTV and DNA, Mm. you couldn't be a detective anymore. (laughs) I don't know how they did it before, CCTV and DNA, because typically what happens is they look at a bit of CCTV footage. Oh, there goes a person there. Let's match up that DNA of that person with the sample from the crime site. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at that. It matches. And apparently the DNA samples can be processed in five milliseconds. And there we go. We've finished the crime. Oh, look, we've got half an hour left of this particular TV series. That's right. It doesn't quite happen like that in the real world, but... DNA is getting better. Typically, DNA can take weeks or months to actually process, to actually get that information back. In Tasmania, they've said, we're going to invest, as you said, $3.7 million to make the DNA processing better, faster, and a few other things that I'll talk about in a moment. But the first thing they've said is that DNA is becoming so much more important now. Each year, Tasmania's Forensic Science Service gets 22,000 requests for forensic analysis, including 10,000 requests for DNA. Now, if you're Mm. taking weeks or months to get that back, you can imagine it's a long time to be processing all that. So the first thing they're going to do is use this upgrade of technology to produce those results quicker, which has got to be a good thing. So someone comes in, we suspect that person, and detectives tell me that they don't use DNA to solve the crime – They use DNA to get some leads. They've got a DNA sample and they say, oh, that matches Billy Bloggs. Sorry to anyone named Billy Bloggs out there, (laughs) but that matches Billy Bloggs. (laughs) You're to blame for everything. That's right. right? Let's go and have a talk to him and see where he was on the night of this particular crime, see if we can piece it together. So still do good old-fashioned detective work, but it helps if you've got a lead there. Mm. So that's the first thing that's interesting. The second part is that now with this new technology, they can store the DNA information forever. So they've got indefinite storage. Now, I I wondered why that would be so important. But as I kept reading through the information, if I've got a crime scene, there's some DNA I discover on that. So I put that into my database. I've got that DNA stored. I didn't match with anyone. Don't have anyone that's a likely lead at the moment. But I I leave it in the system. In five years' time, someone gets arrested for some crime and they take some samples of things like their fingerprint and their DNA. Suddenly, bang, hold on. You might be a suspect in this one, but five years ago, yeah, we've got some DNA that just popped up on the system that says, you might've been involved in another one. Let's now go and drill down a bit further into that case. Yeah, The other thing that it can do is it can take a smaller sample. So you can get a crime scene that had maybe some clothing there and they tested it 30 years ago, couldn't really find any DNA on it, but Mm. now... This particular technology can take a smaller sample of skin, for example, or maybe hair, and actually extract some DNA from that. So now they're saying that they're going back as early as the 1990s and taking some cold case information, taking some of the samples they've still got tucked away in storage somewhere, and then processing that pulling off yeah, DNA, wow. yeah, and then okay. processing that against some of the people they might have in the system now, some of the database of all of that.
0: That sounds like uh, they might be using some PCR stuff there. PCR is a way of photocopying DNA. Right. Um, I say photocopy as a, a term that people recognise, yeah. So you can magnify a small sample or amplify a small sample yeah, okay. to give you lots and lots of test samples so you can test it much more uh, thoroughly.
1: Yeah, and again, as I've said they're not going to then go and convict someone just on the fact that, oh, we found this tiny sample, we magnified it, as you suggested, and then we've got you. There's obviously the old-fashioned detective work. Well, here's my plane ticket that shows I was on the other side of the country. Bad luck. We've got the DNA. Mm. You're done for, mister. Mm. So, yeah, again, there's that whole process there. But it sounds interesting. They have pointed out as well that not just for solving cold cases, but for any current crime that's committed, they can feed it through and get results that much quicker. So it'll help solve those and have... Fewer cold cases as time goes forward.
0: Yeah, help solve them uh, before the credits roll, hopefully, yeah. Exactly. Are you sick of passwords? Everything and everyone requires them these days. And the rules are to make them longer rather than shorter, use a variety of characters, don't repeat them over multiple sites, change them regularly, and of course, don't forget them. So, if you've had a gut full of passwords, take heart. Some of the big players have heard your screams. Matt, what is Google doing to restore some sanity?
1: And this story is about Google, talk about Google specifically, but there are a number of technology companies who believe that they can get to the point where they'll solve this password problem because you've hit the nail on the head. There are so many. It's a nightmare different lengths, you've got to change them on a regular basis. So even if you have a, a regular one you use, it's nice and complicated and really hard to guess, then one site tells you have got to change it, so you add mm. a bit extra to the end of that one. Yep. And then you'll see a message pop up one day that says, oh, this password has been identified in a data leak. You should change your password. You're going, oh, my gosh, that's the one I use on 20 different sites. I've got to go and change all of <laughs> yeah. those. The one bit of advice I say to people always is, whatever you do with your passwords, have your email password Different, and if you're going to change one regularly and remember it, then make sure it's your email password. Because if people get into other sites often Mm. to reset the credentials on that, they'll need to have an email sent so Mm. that they can reset it. But if the password for your email is different, then it makes it a bit harder for them to try and reset it. But the dream, the utopian view from various technology companies is no passwords. So, for example, when you log on to your Windows PC, single sign on. You log on there, that password then authenticates that it's you. And then from there, every site you go to knows it's you because it's got that system information behind the scenes. Or you use your fingerprint or your facial scan to get into your computer. And then everywhere you go is on the same bandwidth or understands it's you. Google does something similar and they call it passkeys. So the idea here is you log into your Google account, you go and use Google Chrome, of course. And on Chrome, you go down the left hand side and you find the spot for passkeys. Now, ironically, when you go there, you've got to put your password in <laughs> just yeah. to, to get past that first. Okay, is this really James? Yes it is. Put your password in. And then you can set up passkeys so that every site you visit using Google Chrome Chrome that's got the same communication protocol. So in other words, they're compatible with pass keys, you'll go to that site and it will know this is you. Because I'm talking passkeys, you've authenticated or you've enabled pass keys then we'll just talk together and we'll let you in. So rather than log on to each of those sites, log on to the various sites you want to use, it just knows you're you because you've already authenticated or enabled pass keys. Yeah, very good. Sounds like a good idea. Still, password managers are relevant for people because this isn't going to cover everything, but certainly makes things a lot easier. Again, the one password you have to get in and change your passkeys. make sure that's a pretty difficult password, make sure that's not used anywhere else. So now I'm saying use two Separate passwords, one for your email, one mm. for your Google account, so you're not letting someone else get your pass keys. But then the rest of it, we might get to that world, that utopian world where no passwords are needed. sounds pretty good to me. I
0: can't even imagine what that's like. <laughs> and with that, it's time to get on our figurative bikes and make virtual tracks. We are done for another day. Thanks for another cracking tech talk, Matt.
1: Uh, let me just check my watch there. No, I don't seem to have any AFib at the moment. Not sure if I need relaxing. Not yet. I've got to go and use a few things. Maybe I'll go and... Start a party and we'll we'll get Partiful out and crack out a few invites there. (laughs) Well,
0: I reckon I'm ready to give that smell-o-vision a go and see if it was worth the 40-year wait. And I'm also going to start with that uh, tour of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Hopefully I don't end up as an enormous blueberry. I'm James Eddy and it's a delight to bring you Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson into your earbuds, car speakers and transistor radios week after week in all its low-fat, polyunsaturated, fully carbonated glory. Thanks for tuning in once again. We look forward to catching you and whichever mates you bring along with you for the ride in another week's time. Until then, take care and we'll see you when we see you.